0: How the fuck did she know my name? It's Donna, she's always talking. I never said. Nathan, you have made a big mistake. You've actually imagined
1: that i give a shit. Um, slightly unbalanced, we are still Queer as Folk. Okay, I'm Patrick Randall, and I'm Matt Dominguez. Today, we're talking about episode four of Channel 4's Queer as Folk, and it's called D-I-S-C-O. It first aired in the UK on March 16th, 1999 and it was written by a show creator, the legendary Russell T Davies. D-I-S-C-O. I I, want to say bingo, and it's terrible. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) D-I-S-C-O was directed by Charles McDougall, who has uh, directed the last three episodes, and I believe this is his final episode uh, of the series. He went on to direct such notable shows as Sex and the City, Desperate Housewives, Big Love, The Tudors, The Office, and House of Cards.
1: Here's a synopsis of D-I-S-C-O. That spells disco, by the way. Does it? (laughs) Traveling north for Phil's funeral, Vince delivers an amusing reading at the service and meets a delightful accountant named Cameron. <laughs> Cameron.
0: Uh, back in Manchester, Nathan jacks off Christian Hobbs, yes. gets jacked up by Stewart. Yes. Blows Stewart All right. and infuriates Vince by flaunting his sorry, let me shit, <laughs> let's do that again. I'm so mad. You threw me off and it was great. You're I gonna leave it in. Okay. <laughs> We were, listeners, we were so distracted <laughs> by all the <laughs> jacking off and blowing and...
1: <laughs> you know, I wrote this, Matt.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway, uh, Nathan also infuriates Vince by flaunting his shirtless 15-year-old torso around Hazel's house. This episode was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I everything I just read I have a lot of thoughts on. So yes, I cannot wait till we get to it.
1: <laughs> so I broke this out into really uh two stories, an A story and a B story. I gave the A story to the funeral and the B story to Nathan. So these stories were pretty disconnected uh for most of the episode and they kind of weave together at the very end. So let's talk about the funeral first. This is Phil's funeral and Phil died in the last episode after uh, taking what we find out to be heroin from a stranger that he shared a cab home with who then robbed him and fled. He snorted heroin,
0: having never been someone who, uh, as we learned, never taken drugs before and then then died on his kitchen floor and was there for four
1: days. I mean, that is bleak. That was a big line of heroin in, in Phil's defense. Normally heroin lines are like really thin. Coke lines are a little thicker. This was a huge line. So no, no wonder he had a heart attack and just dropped. Poor guy. Do you think
0: he, I'm trying to remember, do you think he was aware it was heroin?
1: I think so. Mm. I mean, they had that little conversation about it first. So I don't know. The old saying goes, never snort anything that uh, you get from a stranger. But then all drugs come from strangers, right? <laughs> At that point. Yeah. You're not the one somehow cutting it. I mean, like, I know how to make this drug. Yeah. have a drink. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, at least there you know it's a manufacturer.
1: So Stuart and Vince pull up uh, at Phil's funeral in the magical Jeep uh, with the top down. Something that caught my attention was when Vince was more or less discounting his relationship with Phil.
0: Why has it got to be me? I didn't even know him that well. Only went to his house twice.
1: I didn't really get that impression from seeing them together for the first three episodes, though. Yeah.
0: that Like, was this just like a defense mechanism for, for Vince because he's being asked to speak and he's like, well, I don't really want to speak. And it's like, well, but you've, you've been you've been
1: ordained to speak and then you're just going to easily discount Phil like that. Yeah. This this friend of yours selected you <laughs> to do this reading. So.
0: Right. And th- then I make kind of I kind of wondered like, well, OK, is he actually feeling guilty because of, you know, that's sort of where the last uh, scene of the last episode left us was just this sort of horror on his face. Like, oh my God, Phil is dead. And we've been out brunching and having a good time and not knowing
1: it. I have a question for you about this funeral though, Matt. Why was Alexander at the funeral? They just met and Alexander showed almost no interest in Phil to say nothing of why he's with Hazel. Because they haven't even met yet, right? I mean, when Hazel walked in with that hat, I assumed that he saw another
0: fashionista and is like, "You know what? I'm in."
1: But they pulled up in the the same car. <laughs> Alexander rolled up in Hazel in a, Hazel's car with Bernard. Uh, but why was he there? He didn't even uh, like Phil. He was mean to support, Phil. Support?
0: Maybe I don't know. A free buffet. I. I-
1: this seemed like a gap to me. Like maybe there was something more that ended up being cut out or something that we just never saw or I guess we're left to believe that maybe they knew each other from way back when. It's just it But just like yeah, but, out of place. I mean maybe because
0: right cuz in the last episode when when Alexander first comes onto the scene, Vince was trying to play matchmaker between Alexander and Phil. Yeah, they'd never met. It's like yeah, well, like yeah, so like why <laughs> that's a good point I guess I, I think I still have like the remnants of what we know of the US relationships in my head so I'm like I kind of turn that off sometimes but that's that's a very good point yeah. why is Alexander even there
1: right. and he had just kind of like catty lines about it about Phil too of
0: course I was with him the night he died well I won't with him with him or he wouldn't be dead or we'd both be dead oh imagine I could be dead this could be me Mind you,
1: I think I get more of a crowd. Yeah, you, you didn't need to be in this episode. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Vince gets up and does his reading, and apparently Phil had planned his own funeral and wrote something up for him to read. Let's just go ahead and play this clip.
0: D-I-S-C-O. I say D-I-S-C-O she is d delirious she is i incredible she is s superficial she is c crazy crazy she is O, O, O,
1: O. I oh 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 i love this moment but after vince read it out that was it that's all there was <laughs>
0: <laughs> they go. It reminds me of when I was in college, and for an audition, I decided to do a dramatic reading of Britney Spears' "Womanizer." <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Like the like the whole joke because it was for our one acts, and the whole joke of it is that we always um, we always say, "Come prepared to do one minute of anything," and I was like, "Screw it, I'll do this."
1: <laughs> do you have a copy of that? No. That's a yes. <laughs> I really <laughs> d- I really don't.
0: I'm trying to even remember what it was that, I, what one act was I, I don't even remember. <laughs> I w- in college, I was very selective about the things that I auditioned for. Like I would only go in if I like wanted to be in the show. Like that's the only, so I, I, I was not the kind of person that went and auditioned for everything. I was very, very much like, oh, I'm gonna do this. And I would go in and, and try and, and, and audition for that. And so there was only like two shows two shows that I
1: didn't, no, three shows that I didn't book, you know, book, quote unquote. So we meet a new character named Cameron.
0: Cameron Roberts, I did Phil's so accounts. Didn't see you at the crematorium. No,
1: I, I'm just paying my respects. I didn't
0: know that one. No, neither did I, really.
1: All
0: right. I used to talk about you all the time, though. Yeah, we had a laugh in that, but we were pub friends, you know?
1: Yeah. Just
0: went out drinking.
1: So what do you do with your real friends?
0: We go out drinking.
1: Because that really just kind of sums up this whole swath of gay friendships, relationships, acquaintances, et cetera. It's like, what do you do? We go out drinking. What do you do with your other friends? We go out drinking. We drink. (laughs) Maybe the occasional brunch, but just drinking. Which involves drinking. (laughs) And see, it all comes together. Charming Cameron confuses Vince and Stuart. And there's an awesome recovery on Cameron's part, though. Who to go on about him? Vince this, Vince that. Felt thought the world of him. I'm Vince.
0: Oh.
1: I love the way that Cameron just kind of pulled that right back together. A little smile on his face. He's like,
0: oh. I was a little like, oh, hey, Cameron, what's up? How you
1: doing? (laughs) 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 Are you a Cameron fan then? Oh, I was, yes. More so than Dr. David Cameron from the U.S. show? You know, they both have their strengths.
0: Especially because Dr. David Cameron has that beautiful mid-century home. so uh, <laughs> Mid-century modern home. <laughs> mid-century modern home, yes. Um, but this Cameron, uh, one, at least he knows how to work a budget. And I think he knows how to work a few other things, too. Especially the way he was eye-fucking Vince.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Stuart does a recitation of something that he heard Phil's mother talking about. About the things that parents don't plan for before they realize that their child is gay and is going to probably have a different kind of life. Stewart did like some real ad man shit here, which I loved. He captured those words, calls his assistant, and wrote copy around it for his client. (laughs) That's real.
0: We never saw Brian
1: Kinney do anything like even remotely that good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's because all that old Brian Kinney did was ever just focus on sex. Here, I feel like Stewart's like an actual ad man and knows how to work his advertisements specific to the client rather than making the client meet his specifics. And like, that's
1: kind of why I called it out. It's, you know, we had made our agreement that we weren't going to do an A-B comparison of the shows, but here it was like real ad man shit. It was believable. I could relate yeah, he, to he, it.
0: He heard something that was clearly affecting the people around him and he's like,
1: this this is it. This is what the every, the every man wants. And it makes so much sense. And there was something about this copy that he dictated that I picked up on it was kind of a moment of him realizing to himself that life can be really fleeting and that those words could in fact be his own epitaph. This is the first of a few moments in this episode where we see Stuart kind of subtly wrestling around with his own demons and his own mortality. I, I really like the way that these were just delicately brought into the story. And Russell Davies just gives it such a nice light touch And the simplicity is just really sophisticated. And that's something that I am just loving about the UK series is we are just not beaten over the head with stories. Yeah. And
0: not everyone is not getting like their 15 minutes of the episode.
1: Right. (laughs) Let's count the lines for each actor. Yeah.
0: It is staying story driven. Everything seems to have its path like, oh, this is what got us to this moment. There is enough interior life for these characters to understand why they're here at this moment totally agree
1: that said phil's mother really confused me though (laughs) Uh, yeah well first she says that she knows her own son she knows that he's gay knows everything about him but then she goes on a diatribe about how it wouldn't have happened if phil was
0: straight it was a mistake it's got nothing to do with being gay hasn't it He'd find himself at the age of 35 taking
1: heroin with a casual fuck if he was straight. He could do. Well, I suppose, what would I know? So if Phil's mum was cool with him being gay, where did this come from? Oh, I don't think she was cool with him being gay. I think she had
0: come to terms with it but it almost felt like his death and especially the manner of his death is what gave her the ammo to say, see, I knew I was right.
1: Yeah, I can see that because there's things like as gay men that we take as just like a cost of doing business that non-gay men could look at and just be horrified by and think that it's a much bigger deal than it really is. I mean, the
0: anonymity of our sex lives is a prime example. We have been conditioned, uh, especially because of how repressive particularly the US is (laughs) about homosexuality, uh, that we have been conditioned to hide it so much. So we don't want to exchange names. We don't want to exchange pleasantries. We wanna get what we want, get off and be done with it. And hopefully we never see that person again. And therefore- Hey, speak for yourself, man.
1: (laughs) look i'm hey that's just that's just my observation as i'm representing the demisexuals here um (laughs) knowing a name is kind of important (laughs) that is something i never really thought about you patrick uh surely you've noticed that i do uh tend to want to know more about people than yes you you i would say you're very selective it's not like an asl moment then okay you'll you're fine meet you around the corner. It's like, what is your name? (laughs) What shall I call you? Where are you from? What are are your interests? Yes. (laughs) What is your favorite recipe? Before you say get on your knees, pig. (laughs) I would never say such a thing. I only say that to mailmen. (laughs) So uh, Vince was pretty much destroyed by what Phil's mom had to say, though. So... I guess that was kind of the real reason for her being kind of back and forth. It needed to wind up Vince, and it needed to start to impact him. And I think if it just would have been a happy-go-lucky mom, like, well, yeah, okay, whatever, Vince would not have been affected by it. So in that sense, Phil's mother was kind of servicing the story here because we needed Vince to fall into this. Uh, So after a while, Vince has clearly had enough of that reception and pulled Stuart away from the really hot guy that he was hitting on. The Uh
0: entire time. Yes. Like the funeral. Even in the church. (laughs) 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 He didn't even give enough respect to the fact that Phil's body was coming down in the coffin. He was too busy trying to cruise the guy sitting in front of him.
1: Yeah, you know, I saw that and I thought, oh, okay, that's going to be like a stopper for Stuart. It didn't. It lasted no. only long enough for the coffin to exit the frame. And he that was really, like, really good pacing. I like he that. might
0: as well have been like, three, two, one, and I'm back. Like- yeah.
1: <laughs> Give it a beat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally, the moment of silence, <laughs> and he moves on.
1: And then there's something else that uh, I kind of key down here is Stuart pockets the keys and the code to Phil's flat, and Stuart and Vince are going to go denude it of porn and things like that. So clearly they are better friends than, then, then than they would, would admit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, maybe, I mean, maybe also it was the, it was the mortality of the moment. Like this was someone that they had literally just been out with. It never occurred to them that like, Oh, that was the last time. And so like they, they were trying to sort of emotionally remove themselves from the situation. And then I think after a funeral and the reception and like, I, like, because we even see like Vince defend phil being gay to phil's mother i think you're right yeah they were definitely obviously closer friends and they went you know and wanted to make sure that phil's indiscretions
1: right, <laughs> were as right.
0: as removed as you could be in in a, in a situation like that I
1: just kind of wanted to sanitize his legacy and i think right. that my friends would do that for me right <laughs> it's like well will you stop by and I... gather up the the nasties from my place <laughs> Well, we're now in a world
0: that uh, exists with um, clearing of internet histories and private browsing. So I think we would be less inclined to have to do that unless there are other physical medias around.
1: Yeah, they had both. They had uh, print and digital that they needed to clean up. There was a, a song that I picked out here. They only played it for three or four seconds. And that was the song Trash by Suede. That song is huge. And that really... us back to like the late 90s and I I like that. That that was the first of two songs that I really picked out of this episode that were really, really top-notch. So after going through everything uh, sanitizing Phil's apartment, uh, Stuart offers Vince a set of keys to his own place.
0: I was thinking I'll get a spare set of keys
1: for the flat so you could have them come and save me, Vince. This was useful to keep building up this kind of love and tension between the two of them.
0: Yeah, there was there was a real moment um, uh, while they were viewing one of the porns. (laughs) Vince made it known that he was told that he was hot at the funeral and Stuart agreed. And I was like, you're not like stroking his ego. You're saying this. You are. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I was like, oh, no, there is. There was something brewing in that moment.
1: There's something in the story that really went nowhere. And that was when Stuart made up the story about Phil having dozens of pictures of Vince. It felt like that really needed something more to it. The, The treatment of Phil as just an acquaintance doesn't really match up with the lengths that they were going to in order to protect his memory and then have Stuart tell this story about him. I I've I felt like something was missing here or something was cut out.
0: I almost, because I believe, I would believe it. I would believe that Phil was absolutely interested, enamored, in love with Vince. I could see Stuart seeing those pictures and then confessing it and then gauging Vince's reaction and then like,
1: you know, but they didn't exist. Like, No, not really. It was but, fake. But, they don't exist.
0: but you're right. That's the thing. <laughs> but like my argu- my argument is that like I would have I would believe that that's what Phil was experiencing. I thought cuz I was getting the vibe that Phil was absolutely very into Vince.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, we commented on that a couple episodes ago and then it just didn't go anywhere, right? <laughs> well, yeah, cuz <'cause> Phil died. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean here, what I mean by going somewhere here why didn't we see a couple pictures of the two of them together? Mm-hmm. But then I, I was thought about it a little more, and I was thinking, I see what you did there, Russell Davies. You filled us in on something that was actually happening without parading the evidence in front of us, and that's all we needed. Mm-hmm. So I believed it at that point. I no longer thought of them as just mere acquaintances. I, I believed that there was something more. I came to that on my own. I didn't have to be force-fed that moment. Yeah. So the next stop is at... Romy and Lee says, this is just kind of a small interstitial scene to remind us that Stuart has a baby. Yes. But Matt, why did they bring the lesbians a gigantic box of VHS porn tapes? Gay porn. Presents from Phil. There you go. Power tool one. See what you're missing. They brought all of it. (laughs) I didn't quite get
0: that. (laughs) I mean, are lesbians known for disposing of such Mm. materials in an efficient manner. I, it's a good, yeah, it's a good point. Or did they figure, I mean, I, I guess donating is kind of an odd statement, but like, yeah, it's a good point. Or or were they just having a laugh?
1: Or maybe they didn't want to leave them in the car because the tapes would melt. Remember VHS tape used to melt if you left it in the car with the windows up and the sun out. Really? <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't, I
0: haven't owned a VHS exactly. in, in 20 something years. I mean,
1: we were be, I, we were befuddled by this technology that appeared in the show. <laughs> Last time
0: I had a VHS, Titanic was on two
1: tapes. So, <laughs> well, this gave us a, a venue for Stuart and Vince to start to commiserate over getting older. Because we're getting older, and there's nothing to stop us, so we don't never bloody stop. I'll still be there when I'm sixty, walking down Canal Street, knocking back Viagra,
0: and I'll be chasing after you.
1: I think it's brilliant I want to die shagging yeah filled it that and it's so cute how they struggle so hard at turning 30 <laughs> like <Right>. honey
0: <laughs> my life turned around at 30 so
1: like and yeah. we said this
0: we have said this in, in like you know during the US recordings <laughs> I love being over 30 <laughs> huge fan
1: this is still Queer Spoke stick around got more to come So our B story, Nathan. First, I wanted to mention something, Matt. I was reading an interview with Charlie Hunnam about the first episode. You remember that episode was very sexual and we saw Charlie Hunnam's butt. Mm -hmm. Well, Charlie said that when it was filmed, they filmed it with full frontal nudity. And he was 19. Oh, yes. When it was Mm -hmm. being filmed, but he was playing a 15-year-old. And so that got cut. So someplace out there, there is footage of 19-year-old Charlie Hunnam, full frontal. dick? Yeah. Tried to find it. Couldn't find anything. Mm Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think we need to go sleuthing. Right. (laughs) So uh, we uh, see Christian Hobbs. We first saw this character when Nathan was dropped off at school by Stuart. And he had uh, kind of made a few uh, snide remarks. Uh, we first meet him in class as Nathan is drying his buttocks. And I love how Donna is always just so wide-eyed <laughs> to all this. <laughs> like
0: She <gasps> is seeing the hormones rage mm-hmm. in Nathan. I mean, the fact that he's so, oh, that, it, that moment when he just like was biting his pin, looking at Christian's ass. Wow.
1: Yeah, you know, I wish they would have shown more of his butt. Like remember uh, the was it the second episode maybe where there was a boy walking down the hallway and he was wearing clearly cast very well fit yes it's
0: very well fit (laughs) pants Uh, I agree yeah but like there's something about like oh god like going back into high school and how it was like you're not out yet but you're looking at all those
1: dumb straight boys that are oddly hot that are you know (sighs) kind of open to manipulation so. Apparently.
0: Yes. Or how, how many of those dumb straight boys would wear basketball shorts and you could see so much flopping. In <laughs> oh
1: my God. Ah. So Nathan uh, cheekily says to Chris Hobbs, uh, I'll give you a hand when he's m- helping him mop up. Cough. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> this scene, there was some great directing here by Charles McDougall, where he's just fading out silently between different topics that mm-hmm. the two are talking about. And I thought that was really great. It subtly built up this sexual tension between them just by fading in and out. That was just really well done. I really like that. So after talking about boners, Christian leans back, adjusts, closes his eyes. And this is where I had my question for you, Matt. Yes. Was he inviting Nathan to jerk him off or... Do you think he just rolled with it once Nathan shoved his hand down his pants?
0: I would think he 100% was inviting him in. Really? And the the reason why is because I don't think it was, he wasn't just adjusting. He was rubbing. Mm. And like the fact that he was willing to change his position to be more open about the fact that he's hard right now. And that he was, I thought he was very clearly rubbing himself. And then to have Nathan sort of just like take that last drag of the cigarette and say, I'm going in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going in deep. <laughs> oh, man. And like, I, okay, this. Yeah. So let's talk about this handjob scene because one, not only was it just hot, it was like, it, was, it felt so real. And that he starts with just by rubbing on the outside, like Christian has now removed his hand. And so it's Nathan now doing the rubbing. And then he's like, let me take it a step further. And I'm just gonna put my hand in your pants. And then it's like that slow stroke. And then he picks up on it. And then you can see, even though it's somewhat, because obviously like the hand job is getting the focus, but you can see just out of the focus that Nathan is also rubbing himself. Oh, and I like, didn't see that. Oh, oh yeah. that. He's like, he is clearly touching himself while he is getting Christian off. And I think that that uh, the detail in that is incredible. Like it's not, it's not using, it, it doesn't come off as um, flashy. It's like, oh no, there is like absolute pleasure happening here.
1: And so they uh, apparently finish up and exit individually out of the back room. I guess that's what it is—back room, locker room. I thought it was a locker room. Yeah. And Christian
0: seems sort of like, oh god, I can't believe I just did yeah. that. You know. And he's like, he's like, kind of trying to like hide away a little bit. And then here comes Nathan <laughs> yeah. with this giant grin and this like swagger. He's like, "Yeah, I got him off." And what does he do? He fucking runs right to fucking Donna and is like, "Guess what I just did?"
1: <laughs> well, I love that. <laughs> and then Donna comes up with this prophecy and calls Nathan Mozart. you like, "Mozart you?" "How am I like Mozart?" Like he did everything that Jung. I mean, the rest of us, what are we doing? Nothing.
0: Robert Cole's—he did the anthem for Cheesy Pops.
1: Apart from him, but you doing all sorts now.
0: I've only just started.
1: Sickening. Oh, these moments of confidence from Nathan are great. I—I I love yes. seeing this 15-year-old just owning life. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> just all around wolf. This moment is cut short, though, when Christian Hobbs, freshly re- relieved of his load, and a group of toffs corner a younger boy. And they're beating him down when Christian sees Nathan, and it's interesting that neither Nathan nor Donna did anything about this as it was happening. Like, hey, get off, don't stop. They just kind of looked at it, and then there was a jump cut to Nathan in his bedroom. I thought that was a really interesting transition there. It's
0: it's it sucks that I think I it probably would play out differently now, but at least then I would I would imagine so that there's still a mentality of every man every person for themselves in high school. Like there's still a hierarchy mm. and it's like, well, they're not being up on me. And the last thing I want to do is get my ass beat. So I'm gonna just step back and let him have to be the one that takes it for today.
1: Ugh. So we get a reminder that Nathan really is 15 when we see him in his bedroom and the, de- the decorations of his bedroom and he's drawing Stewart's name over and over on his notebook like yeah that's what 15 year olds do yes but let's also talk about the taste (laughs) in Nathan's
0: room because he has a Bjork poster so like good on you like
1: wonderful he was also listening to placebo as a song called you don't care about us and I don't know why that song was there but once again that was like a hit in the late 90s so it's a really good music supervision here which kind of surprised me I didn't remember that about the show Again, I hate to do the comparison, but what do you think of, since we're bringing this
0: up, at least for this episode, what do you think about the music choices in comparison from the UK to the
1: US? Oh, in the UK, I hate some of this, um, songs. It's, I don't know. It sounds like a cruise ship or something like that. <laughs> you know like steel that. drums and there's uh, all these moments where there's these whoa whoa whoa. I don't know, it's just it's nostalgic to listen to but from like a musical standpoint it's just kind of <laughs> meh. but okay. the the commercial music that gets mixed in is great and some of the other original score is decent. I just don't like the the cruise ship vibe. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I love that accretion vibe. Uh, so Nathan's mother uh, offers to let him drive the car. Clearly he doesn't have a license. Uh, and they're going to uh, the corner store to buy something and that's really how Janice Maloney lured Nathan out of his room was, hey, you can drive. So they're in the car. Janice is building up some trust by just telling this really awkward story about her own background as a slapper and that just blurts out the question. I was going out with this bloke called Jimmy Moran. I drive him home, couldn't get rid of him. He'd snug me, three o'clock in the morning. Shut up. Red big lips, it was like kissing an arm back. I don't wanna know. Works at the Midland now. Nathan, if you got a boyfriend. I'm not really asking, you don't have to say
0: I gotta admit, that was like clever in her way of getting there.
1: Um
0: yeah. <laughs> like and then but like to like just put it out there. And to say, like, I am I love that she's, she's like, I'm not daft. I know you're not hanging out with Donna. And yeah, she clearly knew. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because she also, like, totally caught his porn. <laughs> right. <laughs> she had evidence. But she, right. But, like, she's, I like that she was just sort of offering that opportunity for him to just come clean about it. And so, like, here's, here is your safe space in this very old looking car <laughs> to,
1: like, let me know. As out as Nathan is becoming, what's stopping him from being out to his mother? That, that, I mean, that's a, that's a good question because he's got nothing to hide, right?
0: Right. <laughs> like, the, this was the confusing thing. So, like, he, he hops out and he, remember, he's the one driving. So, he just hopped out of a moving vehicle with his mom in the passenger Yeah, seat. left
1: it in gear and the cars are rolling down what the, the street. Fuck? <laughs> like, what?
0: And he runs all the way to, to Donna's.
1: Oh, my God. He's nonstop. You? you like a novel can't get out i can't i burn the amp what are you gonna do you'll have to tell her about stuart i can't you'll have to she knows i can't you'll have to i
0: can do what i like i'm mozart i'm fucking mozart
1: well, and then Donna asked the exact same question. Like, why why aren't you telling your mother this? She knows. And I just love how Russell Davies is writing these stories. The interplay between these characters that aren't even talking to each other is beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: I burnt the ham. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I love that. That was so funny. Sorry, I can't I come with Donna. you. To burn I burnt the ham. I just love Donna. I love Donna in this series. She's just...
1: <laughs> I'm pretty she's sure like, she's in every episode, too, so... Oh, thank God. Oh, I love her. So, Nathan... Uh, decides that, uh okay, you're not coming. He announces that he's Mozart and then apparently runs all the way to the city center because he's leaving Donna's neighborhood and then is clearly in the middle of town. <laughs> so, well, th- well, was was he like, specific- he was specifically on Canal Street at that point. He was on a bridge
0: going over. Oh, oh yeah. the- right. Well, okay, for a second there, I thought that was... um was it Millennium Bridge in London? And then I was like, wait a minute, the show was in Manchester. <laughs> There's no way he ran to
1: London. <laughs> I don't know wh- how he got there so quickly. <laughs> we can assume that he took uh, a cab on Stewart's Stewart's uh, right? T-
0: right, on his taxi account, yes. Yeah.
1: So uh, Nathan starts a mad terror through Manchester. Uh, Donna and Janice uh, show up at the gay pub looking for him. What on earth is Donna doing that for? Did she take it on herself to go get his mother and say... Come with me, we'll find him. I mean, clearly she did, <laughs> which, which I mean, like, I think, I think she's maybe trying to
0: like show a United friend and make sure that he doesn't do anything stupid. And like, she's probably trying to be responsible
1: and like, oh, that's right. We're both 15 years old. I'm going to go get an adult. Well, I just think that this was like Donna's only move in the entire episode where she really shouldn't have done that. Sorry, Janice. I don't know where he went. Mm. Not like, let me take you to where he is. <laughs> well, or, well, first of all, the fact that she just kind of took a shot in the dark is like, well, let's try this bar first. Yep, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan, uh, we we get the idea that Nathan is really looking for Stuart. So he gets Bernard's address through Babylon by kind of manipulating the ticket taker guy. But wasn't there an easier way to to find Stuart? I just thought that was like the long way around.
0: Well, hold on. No, because he was first trying to get, he first. yeah, First went he to went to Stuart's Stu- place. Right. He went to Stuart's place and, you know, the neighbor who apparently doesn't like Stuart uh, <laughs> <laughs> was smart and said like, oh, oh, hell no, you're not getting in. Love that. We need more of that energy. And so, yeah, then he was like, well, okay. The only, like, I have this guy's, you know, I have Vince's uncle's
1: uh Pass. He's, he's not his uncle. Oh, he's, sorry. There, he's renting a room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's renting a room. So, this, sorry. this is what I meant by the long way around. So, you can't find him at his house. So, you go all the way to Babylon to try to get the address of Vince's mother's renter because somehow Stuart's going to be there.
0: Well, maybe that way that gets him to Vince, which can get him to Stuart.
1: Yeah, there's something going on here where I think we're meant to pick up on the franticness of it, where he's just doing everything possible in his own 15-year-old toolkit to get back to Stuart.
0: Which, I mean, that's savvy. I mean, good for him. That's being, intu- you know. Yeah,
1: it's being, It's being a good stalker. There was a hilarious line when Hazel and Bernard end up at home and they see Nathan sitting on the steps. Aye, aye, Bernie. One of yours. (laughs) And again, Hazel's still wearing that hat. (laughs) Yeah, well, as if they come home and find Twinks on the front porch all the time. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Love it. So uh, they summon Stuart. Stuart comes over, yells at Nathan. How the fuck did you know my
0: name? It's Donna, she's always talking. I never said. Nathan, you have made a big mistake. You've actually imagined that I give a shit.
1: This actually seemed reasonable on Stuart's part because Nathan had quite obviously stalked him, found him, was chasing him around. But then Nathan starts making up lies about his father and the other boys at school. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And then I am remembered, oh yeah, he's 15. And so Vince is, Vince is wise to this and wise in a way that Michael Novotny in the u.s show was just never wise he was just whining all the time so much so So uh, hazel had a great line here also
0: it's your fault it's all because of you this you chose me and i'm not going back i'll go to london i'll go tonight i'll live on the streets
1: i'll be a red boy and i'll be murdered i will <laughs> you know you're getting older when the drama queens start looking younger I just like this whole scene where Nathan is just kind of going off and everybody that's been around the block is just like, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> We've seen this. They're play not out buy- before. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're not buying they're not buying us. Yeah. They're buying maybe like maybe ten percent of what he's selling. <laughs> well, Bernard comes to the rescue and, and gives a great speech about cock, which was just so on point for how Nathan is behaving.
0: He's cock.
1: That's all he is. Cock.
0: Thanks for that, Bernie.
1: Fifteen and your mother finds out. It's not gay. It's not homosexual. It's cock. Your mother knows you like cock. I can relate to that, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Well done, strange, kooky things in pursuit of cock at a young age. <laughs> so uh, Stuart and Nathan end up upstairs and uh, exchange what had to have been like the worst hand job I've ever seen on TV.
0: Oh, I thought that whole scene was hot.
1: Yeah, so I, I broke it down hot. as worst hand job, hottest blow job, and then my note was, but goddamn, that scene was hot. <laughs> like, it was hot. Like, there was something about, like, just, like, the fact that
0: they're trying, like, they're kissing, but the energy is, like, so, it's so, bo- it's all boiling over. That they're not even really, like, connecting, but they're breathing into each other, and then they're fumbling, with trying to get each other's pants off, but like Stuart wins. So he's going to be able to jerk Nathan off. And then he does it and then he covers his mouth with it. Uh, and then just shows him down on his knees. And well, like we I think he covered him. his
1: mouth cause he was like screaming. And starting well, yes,
0: go. that's what I'm saying. Like, but there's also something. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant he was like-
1: shoving his load into his mouth. <laughs>
0: Well, and then he shoves Nathan down (laughs) onto his knees so so Stewart can basically fuck his mouth. Mm. And he clearly like, oh my god. When the camera cuts to him just like gripping Nathan's head (laughs) and Mm -hmm. just using
1: him, wow. There was this lovely awkwardness after they had finished up where they're just like kind of like catching their breath and tucking their shirts (laughs) and Nathan's little knowing smile that he had reeled in Stuart was priceless. He got. He, he got what he wanted. Yeah, <laughs> he won. Oh, my gosh. I have I have had that feeling before. <laughs> so they wisely uh, go downstairs uh, in different order. And Stuart's down there uh, relaxing uh, with the newspaper when Nathan just appears shirtless in the doorway. Uh, it was like oh, that kid has some balls because Vince immediately realizes what had just happened. And this was the first time, I think, that we've seen Vince genuinely irked over the antics of these two.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, you all thought, like, I think this was him saying, like, you think this is all fun and games, but why do you think we're all in black right now? Exactly. The guy that you've met, you've met. And the way Nathan just continues to, like, toss it away didn't really know him, just had a drink with him. And the kicker to it all was when he looks right at Vince and says, better clean up.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was like, Nathan like went from being like really healthy confidence to real asshole.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I think he's, uh, I think he's got a Quite a good point here because the last time that those two had like really said goodbye, that was I think on the street when Vince put him into a cab, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of had that back and forth. So
0: right, he so said like you never, he you never finished that. Yeah,
1: right. The, the tension between Vince and Stewart is is starting to get more and more evident here because you know, that's just one more reason why Vince is is getting pissed off is what just happened with the chicken and Stewart combined with Phil's funeral. One of Stuart's tricks is gaining more attention from Stuart than he was. And this is just a really rich, complicated way to build up the tension versus the nonsense of the U.S. show where they were just constantly beating us over the head with the, oh, he's into him. Oh, he doesn't like him. It's like, stop already.
0: (laughs) But what's so interesting is that I feel like... Kind of in the end, Vince is the one who gets Stuart to run after him.
1: Yeah, I, ha- I had some notes on that um, because Stuart's doing everything to get Vince back in the car. He tries charm. He tries shame. He tries to anger. He threatens him. And none of it convinces Vince, though. And as he runs off into the deserted Manchester streets all alone, there's just something I like about this relationship. That the love that Stuart has for Vince becomes more and more obvious and unforced than anything that we ever saw between Brian and Michael in the U.S. show.
0: We felt like always we just like this is the given circumstance there. They've been friends for so long. That's why they care about each other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But here it's like, yeah. And so like we just have to accept that. They're not going to work hard at it, but we're going to have to accept that here. No, there is enough
1: emotional give and take here where every, yeah, every bit of that emotion is feeling earned. Just the writing, casting and acting of the UK series just blows away the US series to just to say nothing of the stories that Mm -hmm. we've been given so far. I feel like we should have done the UK series first before we did 83 episodes of the US series. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well who knows maybe maybe when we finished the uk if we had done that
1: we would have been like well we don't see any point in doing the US right version <laughs> okay let's talk tops and bottoms for this episode what was your top matt the sex scenes
0: mm, okay i the i think they were really smartly choreographed uh, or or you know thought out and executed I mean, they achieve what they were after. They were very erotic without having to show a whole lot. Like, they showed us just enough. We saw the passion. We saw the the hormones. We saw all of it. And we just see it all come, like, really out in, uh, in the scene. So I thought they were handled really well.
1: My top was a bit more refined than that because it was the moment that Nathan came downstairs shirtless. Okay. <laughs> he, he just had to let everybody know what had just happened. He, and he just comes across as this delightfully scheming rascal. And I thought that was that was really the high point of the episode. Uh, all deference to the funeral. And, uh, side note, do you think Nathan swallowed? Of course. Okay. Good boy. Because then really he shouldn't have much to clean up. Um, yes, good point. But it's not like he came downstairs like with a load all over his face. It, did he? Maybe he did. No, I <laughs> thought maybe he had
0: gotten someone his shirt, and that's why he wasn't wearing his shirt. But then again, he—if that was the case—I think he would have wanted to continue to wear the shirt mm. with
1: that's a good point. So
0: load all over him. Yeah. yeah. What was your bottom? So I feel like we were very complimentary towards Nathan's attitude and his swagger for a majority of the episode, but then it like really turned for me when he decided to use that as ammo against Vince. Dude, it was a funeral. Like they just buried a friend. That was a real asshole thing to do. So it kind of turned me off to Nathan for, for a bit. And it seems like remember, it's
1: a 15-year-old thing to do, right? Right.
0: Exa- yeah. It feels like such a 15-year-old thing to do. And also remember, I'm very much a Vince fan. I have been since the first episode. So, um, Team am go I'm, Yeah, I'm going to go and protect Vince at all costs.
1: So my bottom was Alexander. He shouldn't have been in this episode. <laughs> he didn't know Phil. He doesn't know Hazel. He shouldn't have been in her car. And he shouldn't have been at that funeral. <laughs> You're going, like, why are you here? Yeah, they paid a lot of money to have that actor spew out a couple lines, but th- they were a throwaway. Didn't need to be there. <laughs> this has been episode four of season one, and it was called D I S C O. Next time on Still Queries, Folk, Stuart makes some new friends, while Nathan's behavior makes Hazel furious and his mother desperate. Vince reluctantly goes on a date with the hunky Australian named Cameron that he met at the funeral Yes, that will be episode 5 of season 1 and it's called The Date it's one of my favorite episodes of the UK series
0: okay so the tops and bottoms should be very easy for that one there we
1: go (laughs) thanks for listening until next time I'm Patrick Randall
0: and I'm Matt Dominguez
1: still Queer Focus is a production of Slightly Unbalanced Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight Still first folk was made with love in Chicago.